you have in your bulletin one verse of scripture only. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 21. And that shall be, Lord willing, my text. But we shall read a little more than that. If you're at your place in Isaiah chapter 45, I would read verses 5 through 7 as well. And then verse 20 through 22. And then a small text from Romans chapter 3, if you'd like to find it and hold your finger there. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and Pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that hour? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God. And a Savior, there is none beside me. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. A familiar text indeed. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and a justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. 
Turn with me again, if you will, please, in your hymn book and sing number 216. Will you stand with me, please? The true Messiah now appears. The times are all withdrawn. So fly the shadows and the stars before the rising dawn. The smoking sweet and bleeding lamb, the kid and bullock slain, and costly spires of every name would all be burnt in vain. Aaron must lay his robes away, his mitre and his vest. When Christ the Lord comes down to be the offering and the priest. He took our mortal flesh to show the wonders of his love. For us he paid his life below and prays for us above. Forgive he cries, forgive their sins, for I myself have died. And then he shows his open veins and bleeds his wounded side. Thank you and be seated. As you well know, it has been something of a pattern of mine to take a short diversion anytime we come to the end of a chapter in our studies of the judges of Israel. And at that time to take up some or other theme elsewhere in the scriptures. Having come on last week to the end of that ninth chapter, I wanted this week to turn our attention in a different direction. I have now for several weeks 
been contemplating this text here in Isaiah chapter 45 and wanted us this morning to contemplate only briefly that incomprehensible divine paradox set forward for us so plainly in verse 21 in that profound and blessed phrase at the end of verse 21 a just God and a Savior. I call this a divine paradox because in that one singular phrase is set forward two seemingly opposite and mutually exclusive truths. In the one hand, there is a statement that God will and must execute infinite justice. A just God. And then in the second part of that phrase, God will exercise mercy and save the offender. So then there are these two seemingly opposite and mutually exclusive truths. God will and must exercise infinite justice toward the sinner. And he will exercise mercy and save the offender. <laughs> to our human understanding, to our human capacities, these two cannot exist together in one and the same circumstance, in one and the same person. First, our God, it declares, is infinite justice. His law stands. Infinite, implacable, holy, undefiled unassailed and unassailable, inflexible and inviolable, his law stands and justice guards it. Not one jot nor tittle may be discarded. Not one jot nor tittle may be disregarded. Not one jot nor tittle may be disobeyed. His law stands eternal and any violation of one single precept sustains the penalty of the guilt of all and His justice stands to guarantee it. Hmm. I said if one jot or tittle 
broken. And often use the illustration, and quite apt it is, the illustration of a man hanging over a great precipice by chain. Only one link is needed to be broken. Only one. Only one. It falls to his destruction. Only one sin needs to be committed. Only one transgression against the perfect law of God, be it in our eyes ever so minute. Only one is needed and we fall over the precipice into hell itself. And Adam and Eve have already granted us that one. He will be just. And his justice will suffer no violence. Perfect justice. Perfect justice can make no allowances for a single transgression, nor will it turn a blind eye to the slightest infraction, but will cry out immediately for a full payment of every farthing. Oh, <laughs> here our prophet here again as he waxes eloquently in exalting the unapproachable perfection of this God. I read it to you. Look at it again in verse 5. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee though thou hast not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I the Lord do all these things. Drop down ye heavens. Drop down from above. And let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness bring up together. I the Lord have created it. But then in verse 9 he says, Woe to him that striveth within me. Woe to him. Woe to him. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, what makest thou or the work? He hath made no hands. He hath no hands. <laughs> oh, the prophet describes this great God in such a way we recognize that one single violation, one single violation of his law and immediately justice draws his sword and steps forward and says, Woe to him! Justice of God. Oh, but what then? What then are we to say of ourselves? Sinners of the highest order. Or... In the words of Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Or if you prefer, let another prophet put our answer to this question, what are we to say of ourselves? 
What is to be done with us? Let another prophet answer the question in the plainest of terms. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Justice demands it. For in the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3, they shall in no wise escape. Oh, when only one sin, listen now, when only one sin existed in all of God's new universe, God came down and said, Adam, where art thou? When only one sin existed in all of God's universe, God inquired of that sinner, Adam, where art thou? And the answer must come forth from our lips. I'll tell you where he's at. He's in the bowels of depravity and in the chains of condemnation. And God's law stands and justice raises the banner and says, Thou shalt surely die. And why? Why? Because justice demands it. I'm simply trying to press on your heart this morning that our God is just in the words of our prophet. God is just. He is a just God. Oh, it sickens my heart to tell you today this generation of preachers has gone soft on sin. Nobody wants to name it anymore. Nobody wants to herald the truth that one violation is an eternal sentence to hell. And every soul born to Adam's race is born with that one sin already credited to them. Romans 5 and verse 12. God is too holy according to Habakkuk chapter 1 and 13. God is too holy to even look on sin. And we've got a generation of... You want to know what's wrong with the nation? The pulpits have grown silent and dead and nobody's proclaiming against sin anymore. Nobody's telling people that the justice of this great God demands payment. Justice of God demands. I am, he said through the prophet, a just God. But wait. But wait. Our texts here in Isaiah 45, as well as in Romans chapter 3, our texts tell us just as authoritatively that our God is a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. In Romans chapter 3, he's called the justifier. In Isaiah 45 verse 21, he's called a Savior. But how can this be? How can this be? 
He can only save when his object is out from under his just condemnation. <laughs> out from under the dictates of justice. Isn't that right? I mean justice, I said it was implacable. Inviolable. It demands payment. It demands payment. Even for one transgression. So I put the question to you. How can this God who's justice. I've sought to magnify in your eyes this morning. How can this God save the rebel sinner? How can he save him? Except he is out from under the justice of God and His just condemnation. So then, I put the question, how can this be made possible? How can this be made possible? Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here's that blessed truth that my heart has been pondering for weeks. Here's that blessed truth that I want to bring to you this morning. Here's the answer. It's nothing less than this. God's insatiable justice has wrought out its own demands and God's fiery darts of incomprehensible holiness have quench their vengeance in the person of a perfect and holy substitute. Hallelujah. Praise God. I like the sound of that. I just want to hear that again. God's insatiable justice has wrought out its own demands and God's fiery darts of incomprehensible holiness have quenched their vengeance in the person of a perfect substitute. Glory, hallelujah. Everything implacable justice demanded. Everything infinite holiness required. Everything perfect law dictated. Everything, everything, everything was met in everlasting perfection, in a substitute of God's own supplying, in the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ met every demand. Romans chapter 3 again, verse 24. Listen. Being justified freely by His grace. How? Here it is. Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Whom God set, has set to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness. For the remissions of sin that are past. Oh, blessed be his name. Verse 26. He might be 
just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Oh, look with me at this glorious truth in yet another text in Isaiah chapter 53. Oh, look what's said of him there, that great messianic paschal lamb described in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and he was esteemed, and we esteemed him not. But look at this, verse 4. Oh, surely he hath borne, borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. Justice. Justice walked in. Justice walked in. When God blotted out the sunlight from the whole world and blanketed that hill with black darkness, justice walked in. Smitten of God and afflicted. The Hebrew word right there, that word born. The Hebrew word means lifted up and taken away. <laughs> lifted up. Take away. Oh, he lifted up and took away all the griefs that justice would have inflicted on me. And then there's that word carry. It's not just to bear away. It does mean to bear away. But it means to bear away with strong labor. <laughs> strong labor. And God put out the sun. Nobody can see this. None of earth can see this. Justice has walked in. He carried my griefs. My sorrows, he bore them away with strong labor. Oh, look at it again. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God for He hath made Him to be sin for us. Hallelujah. Who knew no sin that we, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Made. That word made in the Greek, wonderful word, moots. He hath made him to be sin. The word literally means to press or oppress. He hath 
pressed him to be the hands of justice were put on him and he was pressed to be sin for us. Oh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. Nailed it to the cross. Hallelujah. Literal translation, spiked. Spiked him to the cross. Who did that, brother? Justice did that. He is a just God. Justice did that. Because he was made sin for us. Do you begin to see how this divine paradox is solved? A just God, Isaiah said, and a Savior. Oh, no wonder Horatio Spafford penned in 1876 these blessed words. You know them well, the old salt. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss. They put a comma in that in every place I can find that hymn written. They put a comma there. I think they ought to put a parenthesis. Here's a parenthetical the writer is saying. He's talking about Christ bearing his sin. And he gets out of his mouth my sin. And then he just erupts. He says, oh, the bliss of the glorious My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. There's another verse in that hymn. It's not in most texts, most books. It says that grace hath devised such a glorious plan and brought his salvation to man. Oh, marvel, my soul, at such wisdom and power. What our God in Christ Jesus have done. Oh, <laughs> it's a marvel how he solved this divine paradox. Just God and the Savior. John Newton said, Great God, from thee there's naught concealed. Thou seest my inward frame. To thee I always stand revealed exactly as I am. Since I can hardly therefore bear what in myself I see. How vile and black must I appear, most holy God to thee. 
But since my Savior stands between in garments dyed in blood, tis He instead of me is seen when I approach to God. What wondrous love, what mysteries in this appointment shine. My breaches of the law are His, and His obedience is mine. Hallelujah. A perfect substitute, I said. The solution to the riddle is a perfect substitute. A just God and a Savior. Oh, here is the great paradox explained. Here is the great dilemma resolved. Our God is just and a justifier. <laughs> he is just and a savior because of his appointed substitute and our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how clearly has dear blessed Dr. Gill set us in the path of light in this text when he said this. Christ is the propitiation to God for sin. Which must be understood of his making satisfaction to divine justice. For the sins of his people. These are imputed to him. And being found on him. The law and justice of God made demands of him for them. Which he answered to satisfaction by his obedience and sacrifice. And which, as it could not be done by any other, nor in any other way is expressed by these words, reconciliation and atonement. Whence God may be said to be pacified or made propitious. Not but that he always loved his people. Now listen, listen to Gil now. Not but that he always loved his people and never hated them. Nor is there, nor can there be any change in God from hatred to love any more than from love to hatred. Christ has not by his sacrifice and death procured the love and favor of God, but has moved the obstructions which lay in the way of love's appearing and breaking forth. There is a law broken and justice provoked, which were to be attended to, and Christ by his sacrifice has done this with satisfaction. <laughs> so that neither the wrath of God nor any of the effects of it can fall upon the persons Christ in his propitiation has done. Or even according to justice itself. So that it is not love. 
It is not love, but justice that is made propitious. For this is all owing to the grace and goodness of God. Oh, God didn't circumvent the law. He didn't sweep under the rug the transgressions of his people. He didn't just determine within himself to ignore them and not look. No, there must be justice, justice, justice. Cries out and says, I will wet my sword with the blood of the sinners. And the Father says, but I will be a Savior. I will be a Savior. So I'll send my son. Oh, of that text that we read in Romans chapter 3, Blessed Simeon had this to say. We are justified freely. The word used there, freely. That is, without any cause for it. <laughs> In ourselves. No works before our justification. No repentance or reformation at the time of our justification. No evangelical obedience after our justification. Absolutely nothing is to be taken into account. It was freely. <laughs> there is no merit, says Simeon, whatever in anything we have ever done or in anything we can ever do. Our justification is as independent of any of our merits as was the gift of the Savior that bought. That sinners are justified through Christ may well appear an act of transcendent mercy. Now follow him. Oh, this is what blessed my soul. That sinners are justified through Christ may appear, well appear an act of transcendent mercy. But it is also an act of imminent justice. And the justice of God is as much displayed in it as it would be in consigning sinners over to everlasting hell. Listen, it is not an act of mercy, but an act of justice to liberate a man whose debt has been fully discharged. Not an act of mercy to set a man free when his death paid. That's an act of justice. But when Christ has paid our debt, and we in consequence of that payment own our discharge, we may expect it even on the footing of justice itself. And whereas it is found that no living creature ever applied to God in vain, when he pleaded Christ's vicarious sacrifice, it is manifest that God has been jealous of his own honor and justice. And has been as anxious to pay to us. I love him. Oh, he's as anxious to pay to us what Christ has purchased, purchased for us as to exact of him what he undertook
to pay for it. So that his justice is as conspicuous in pardoning us as it has would have been in punishing us. Amen. <laughs> hey, his justice is just as conspicuous in punishing us, in pardoning us as it would have been in punishing us because Jesus has paid and justice is satisfied. That which principally alarms, he gives this note, that which principally alarms those who stand before a human tribunal is an apprehension that justice may declare against them. But there is no such cause for alarm on the part of a believer, seeing that justice is no less, no less on his side than mercy. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. Justice is on my side <laughs> because my substitute has paid. Well, glory. Brother Jacob, I love that song when that dear old fellow Gordon Moat sings that song, Mercy Walked In. I guess all of y'all have heard that. If you don't, go on YouTube and listen to it. That blind man plays the piano says Mercy Walked In. He talks about it. I was in the, I was in the courtroom of God. The case against me was made. I was guilty. The judge said, what do you have to say about that time Mercy walked in? Oh, Mercy walked in the courtroom. I just get beside myself every time I listen to that song. I have a, I have one of those old time fits. Mercy walked in. But can I tell you something this morning? Justice walked in with him. Yes, glory. Justice walked in with And justice said, Your Honor, I would require that you turn him over to mercy. He's paid. I'm a mediator that's paid. Justice. Somebody ought, somebody ought to write a song. Justice walked in. <laughs> Hallelujah. Justice walked in. Said, set him free. Turn him over to mercy. He's paid for. Oh, can I tell you this morning in closing? He is a just God. Isaiah 45 and verse 21. He is a just God. And the Savior. Because mercy has met the demands of justice in Christ Jesus. Paul said the blessed Simeon again. It is in the union of these two perfections. It is in the union of these two perfections of justice and mercy. That the glory of the Godhead is most fully seen. We must look at justice as exercised in a way of mercy. And mercy as displayed in a way of justice. 
if we would have all the appreciation for the right character of our God. He of his own unbounded love and mercy determined to save our fallen race, but would he leave sin unpunished? No! He would punish sin and yet save the sinner. And in order to that, he gave his only begotten son to be the substitute for the sinful men that in him, in him, sin might receive its just recompense. And by him, a righteousness might be wrought out for man. That so God might be just and be the justifier of all who believe in him. Now listen to this. Listen, I'm trying to close. By this, his justice shines forth awfully, more awfully than if he had executed vengeance on the whole human race. And his mercy is displayed more richly than if he had pardoned all without an offering. (laughs) The gift of his only begotten son shines light on these perfections which can be seen in nothing else and which infinitely exceeds any that can be found in a separate and disjointed view of them as exercised toward a sinful world. I'm going to tell you this morning, can I just tell you again, he's a just God and the same. Augustus top lady in the 1700s said this, and I'll close. How vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We're saved from guilt and every sin and called to holiness. It's not for works which we've done or shall hereafter do, but he of his abounding love salvation doth bestow. The glory, Lord, from first to last is due to Thee alone. All to ourselves we dare not take or rob Thee of Thy crown. Listen here now. Our glorious surety undertook. Redemption's wondrous plan and grace was given us in Him before the world began. Can I tell you something? Meditations on this that I was meditating before. Those that don't understand the truth about Christ's sacrifice, they can never revel in this doctrine. They can never glory in this doctrine, joy in this doctrine. Oh, they've got a sacrifice that didn't actually pay for anything, but just provided a payment plan. Oh, no, 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 he paid. Justice came down that day on the hill in the darkness and said, I will have payment for every sin. And he received it. He executed justice. And it's only because of that that any sinner can come to the Father and say, be my Savior. He bore it. Oh, if he bore it and God doesn't grant it, 
Where's the justice in that? Where's the justice in that? But those of us that know the truth, oh, oh, we join in this. In the courtroom of God, justice walked in and said, turn him over to mercy. I've received the payment. Bless his holy name. Turn with me, if you will, please, in your hymn book. Stand with me and we sing together number 296. 296. He lives. The great Redeemer lives. What joy the blessed assurance gives. And now before his Father God, he pleads the merits of his blood. Stand with me and sing. Must prevail. 